Welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. The Ringer is introducing a new live Twitter after show covering season two of HBO's Big Little Lies with jam sessions Amanda Dobbins and ESPN's Mina Kimes. Immediately after each episode, they'll be going live to give their initial reactions and break down everything we saw in the episode. And to kick us off, there'll be a special season two preview airing this Friday, June 7th at 12 p.m. Pacific. So join Amanda and Mina for that this week and then catch Big Little Live every Sunday night on Twitter. Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by Major Domo Media. We're finally back to our regular once a week podcast schedule, but I want to thank you all again for listening to the show this first year. It's crazy to me that we've been doing this for a year and that all these guests, whether they are chefs, writers, actors, artists, have all agreed to come on the show. And I'm just figuring this all out and trying to get better. So thank you for bearing with me. It's been amazing because I have no idea what I'm doing as an interviewer, but I'm trying just to listen and to get better at listening, which is much more difficult than I realized, and to let some of the brilliance of these people rub off on me. Today, my guest is Chef Gabriela Camara, who has been the chef, founder, and owner of something like a dozen restaurants over the years, including the classic, iconic institution, Conchamar in Mexico City, Cala in San Francisco, and the soon-to-open Onda in Los Angeles, which she's opening up with our good friend Jessica Coslow of Squirrel. If you've never been to any of Gabby's restaurants, they're all incredible, but Conchamar stands out as one of the probably the most famous restaurants in Mexico City, if not the world. People love her restaurant. It's fantastic, and you can have very long leisurely lunches and meals of delicious food. You walk into this big dining room and you sit down with your friends and, you know, you just eat fish tostadas and tacos and grilled seafood that are literally just local Mexican fish and drink mezcal for hours. That seems like something commonplace today around America, it seems, because you see these sort of kinds of restaurants trying to pop up, but more or less, they're all trying to do something that Gabby's already done. Very few people will ever do it better. Conchamar is just so great, and it's something I'm bad at doing, right? Like to sell to your guests this idea of enjoying yourself, and it's not a rush, and it's something I want to get better at, that kind of hospitality that is so elusive to me because it's not something that makes sense on paper. You have to experience it. On top of that, all the restaurants that Gabby runs have progressive employment practices. I talk about this all the time, but the fact is people usually don't get paid enough to work in the restaurant business. And I'm not just talking about cooks, servers, managers, dishwashers, bussers, everyone should make more money. And that's a much larger conversation about how that's ever going to happen. But because it's such a tough job, any job in the hospitality industry, is usually concentrated in cities like New York, LA, or San Francisco, where the cost of living can be astronomical, especially San Francisco, which I think is maybe the most expensive place to sort of live and work in the lower 48. It's really hard to find people to work at any restaurant. doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in a sort of seasonal vacational spot or you're at a busy new restaurant that just opened up in New York finding people that want to be part of a team is very difficult. You have to be creative or you're just not going to make it because it's the same example I always think about sports or the access to talent is the same. Everyone has access. So the rules are the same for everyone. And you can either complain about not having talent or you can devise better ways to sort of develop it. Gabby hires people with conviction histories and pays people fairly and basically tries to do everything that they tell you is impossible to do in the restaurant business. And it's truly amazing to see what she's done. Now she's going to go back to Mexico City to become a consultant to the newly elected President Obrador. We talk 
a little bit about this in this podcast. Plus, she just published a cookbook, and she's got another restaurant coming again that we talked about with Jess Coslo Onda in LA, I believe in Santa Monica. And she's got a young son. She is crazy busy. We covered a lot of ground, but I mostly just ask her all these dumb questions I've been holding in and how people cook and eat in Mexico because I just love Mexican culture and how diverse it is throughout all of Mexico. Like no place is really the same. And um, I admire the sort of ability to be in the moment and to enjoy oneself. And it's something I'm trying to adopt a little bit more in my own life. And uh, it's a beautiful country with a beautiful food. And I find it to be infinitely incredible and complex and delicious. And it's something that I know very, very little about. Anyway, here's my conversation with Chef Gabby Kamara. She's one of the best out there. Go buy her new cookbook and um, kudos to her with her new position, being a culinary advisor to Mexico and all the good she's done for food, both here in America and in Mexico. Here you go, Gabby. I know when I last saw you, it was on the plane from um, Austria. Uh-huh. And I had the most insane trip because I'm so type A weird that I was like, I'm not going to have enough time to make the flight. And I had to be back home in New York. And we had just cooked the Cook It Raw dinner that was insane. And I overslept Jelinas. the train. Jelena's. Was it Cook It Raw? Oh, it was Jelena's. Thank God. Jesus Christ. That's how I think about them. They're all sort of the same. So yeah, I, I saw you on the plane. We're supposed to fly out together. And I was so fucking stupid. I had to get an earlier flight, but long story cut short, I missed them all because I overslept on the train and I, I woke remember. up in Czechoslovakia. I remember that. <laughs> You're like, how the hell can they let me sleep through Czechoslovakia? Yeah, I, I actually cried when I woke up. It was uh, it was sad. When I saw Russian uh, a Russian tractor in the fields, I was very long gone. <laughs> long, another story. We're here to talk about you. Is it okay if I call you Gabby? It's okay. Because You've always called me Gabby, yeah. Yeah. People call me Gabby. I like Gabriela, but Gabriela Gabriela sounds severe. And in Mexico, in Spanish, everybody calls you Gabby because it's like nice. But I can't say it as beautiful as you say it. So say Gabby. Gabby sounds like when you say Gabby, but if I say Gabriela, it sounds terrible. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) I think it sounds pretty bad. So there's a lot going on. I know. How'd you get so busy? I've always been really busy. I think now it's just like public. Yeah. I mean, or you got more ha- public. I've always tried to not be public. And now. How many restaurants now? Now I just have three. But there was a, a lot. There was a lot. I mean, I've made a lot of restaurants. I've made yes. 11 restaurants. I'm about to embark on the 12th. We're going to open Onda with Jessica, which Jessica is exciting. Coslo on the west side in LA. Yeah, Santa Monica at a hotel. Talking about corporate. <laughs> We are in the Hudson Yards. That's why she's throwing unintentional shade. Um, no, no, very intentional. <laughs> um, and you have San Francisco. I have San Francisco and I have Mexico City. I have Contramar and I have Entremar. And we'll probably do something else in Mexico. Mexico is really exciting and it's sort of difficult to say no to things. And you have a cookbook that's out. I have a cookbook. I think that's the new thing. I have a cookbook. But there's also like, I just found out that you are like the culinary. What's this new role? I don't role? know what I have to come on, I don't. come on. You have to explain. How the hell did this happen? Okay. I um, I just found, I mean, I found out last week it was announced that I'm on this commission, like an international or I'm a cultural ambassador to Mexico, which, you know, yeah, fine. You could say, you could argue that all cooks that cook Mexican food abroad can be cultural ambassadors. and But this is a commission of 16 people that, were, in my opinion, chosen very randomly, but this is like an extra thing. When this man who now is president of Mexico was elected last summer, last July, he called me to be part of his team and he called me to direct this board, this board that was the board to promote tourism in Mexico. He asked me to do it, not because I was an expert in tourism, even though he thought I would be capable of managing a strategy for keeping up tourism in Mexico, but because he trusted me, because he thinks um, I'm an honest person and Mexico, Mexico's government has been widely populated by people who are very corrupt, like historically, Much for like centuries. Korea. Much like a lot of the <laughs> world, unfortunately. Anyway, so I started looking into this board and 
basically I came up with the idea of shutting it down because it was a whole apparatus for stealing money. And he was delighted. This is a president of, you know, government of austerity, a government of redeeming old ways of or organizations and old ways of businesses that have been sort of traditional to Mexico and have been lost in the past years. And this is a whole like anti-neoliberalism with a twist. Like I wouldn't say he's like anybody that we know. He's not like Cesar Chavez. He's not like, it's not like the Castro revolution. It's, he is a very knowledgeable guy. He's from the lower middle class, which is something that hadn't happened for a long time in Mexico. He's very popular. He's the most popular president we've had since I think the pre-revolution period. So it's interesting. I think it's a moment where, given also the politics of the world and our North neighbor, the United States, it's very relevant who the president of Mexico is. And there's a lot of corruption and there's, you know, there are so many things to be fixed that I do think that this is an important time in Mexico. So long story short, we closed this board. He was delighted. And then he said, okay, but now you not, you need to be my advisor. And I thought- So oh you're goodness. a cabinet member. I'm not an official cabinet member, member, but I'm an advisor, which is very vague. And it has been very, very good for me because for the time being, I still live in San Francisco. I decided, I told him, I'm not going to come to work still because I need a, I need my son to finish school. I need him to finish the school year. We're going to live in San Francisco. And then next summer, I'll move back and then we'll figure out what I can do or what you want me to do or what would be most useful for me to do. Because this is a president who, I mean, he... He's very charming, as any politician is, right? At that, at that level, you have to have merits to be there. But he's also a guy that is very sort of approachable. And he's very— You're excited about this. I am excited about him. I, I, I think it's very problematic. But I am also in a position in which I think, okay, I've always wanted the world to be a better place. And as much as that sounds like a pathetic cliche, cliche but I always have wanted— Mexico to be better off. And I think everybody who voted for him wanted this. And now I have the opportunity of working closely with somebody like him. I can't say no. Like I can't. It's like if Obama would have called you to do something, would you have said no? It's difficult. I did a lot of fundraising. And I know. I know. And I think like the only thing we do and as chefs of a certain type, we're always doing fundraisers. I find myself raising money for all sorts of causes because the world is messed up. So maybe... If I can do something for Mexico, for the countryside, for heirloom corn and heirloom varieties of tomatoes that have been lost and our terrible nutrition and child obesity and diabetes, which is like 80% of people who die in Mexico die of uh, diseases related to diabetes or causes related to diabetes. I mean, it's just we're, we're in bad shape in Mexico in terms of food. So even in what I know, I think I can help. So we'll see how it goes. Nothing is set. Yes, I, I will smart. work. I mean, listen, if you don't it's know. It's what I can do. It's what I have to do. But if you work in this business, you learn how to make decisions. If you're successful in this business, you've become very adept at making decisions under duress and making the most of nothing. Totally. Totally. That's that's what we do all day. I mean, that's what Jose's yeah. doing. All day. With, I know. Right? And now, now, we're, now we're the big protesters. Yeah. <laughs> so it's I true. think it's great. Like, you're going to be able to shape culinary ideas and, I mean, policy? This is crazy. It's crazy. So that's why I think we should at least talk about I it. I know. I agree. It's much I larger agree. than a restaurant. It's You're actually going to shape— I know. And also, you go into a world that is very— I mean, not only corrupt, but there are always all these institutions, all these bureaucracies. And Mexico is a very bureaucratic country. Is this, so we'll is this see. A, a beginning of a political career for you? No. Could you? Come no. on. No, no, I, all say. I promise you, I have no political ambitions. I promise you. I love directing things, but I love directing, you know, like privately owned enterprises. I love, I love directing restaurants and I really love what I do. So I hope to, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I bet I you, know. I bet you, you get the, the, so all the good leaders are the ones that don't want to be the politician. What if you're really good at this? And again, you took this job because we'll you talk, didn't want We'll it. talk later. I don't know. I hope not. I don't want to become a politician. I mean, I guess if you're in politics, you and kind you can of make are. a difference. Yeah, I think embrace it. I look at everything like a judo move right now. You should just like take it <laughs> and like use the force against everyone else. So you got the book, and there's another thing that's coming out. I saw that there's a Netflix doc that's coming out. That is actually out today. It's, it's out, out today. It's out. It is a part of five documentaries that Netflix made about border issues, and it's a really short little thing. 
And it's… Why is, why is that such a big thing? <laughs> no. Because, I mean, and they commissioned this like a year ago. I don't know what would have happened if so they commissioned… So who came to you? So the producers of this in Mexico came to me. They chose the story. They chose the director. They chose five directors for five different stories about border issues. And they chose Gala and Contramar as a, like, as a cultural exchange, bridges instead of walls, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, not blah, blah, blah. The whole thing that I'm sort of standing for all the time. And like, if you see the trailer, or now you can see the whole episode on yes. so the tonight. Have probably. you seen the trailer? I did see the trailer. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. What is it about and how you run your restaurants, for those that don't know even your food quite yet, mm-hmm. right? Because obviously we have some people listen to that definitely have been to your restaurants or they have followed your career. And you probably have some that are not familiar. Yes. What so, is it that you serve at your restaurants, both in San Francisco and Mexico, and how your philosophy sort of distilled throughout? Okay, so I've always done sort of, I don't know, I mean… And as much as farm-to-table can be spoken about in Mexico City in 1998, which is when I opened Contramar, you know, we used local fish. It was a seafood restaurant, Mexican seafood restaurant. And the revolutionary thing was that I chose to use only Mexican fish, which is, I mean, if you see the coast of Mexico, it's really wide. It's very unlocal, thinking of today's terms. In San Francisco, now I opened this restaurant three years ago and that is called Cala. And we use only local fish, literally then like only that part of the Pacific coast. Anyways, Contramar was a was a restaurant that really changed the way Mexico City People are people, proud. People are proud of this restaurant. I know. People are proud of this restaurant. People keep on going to this Whenever restaurant. Whenever I meet anyone that's have you been to Mexico City? No, why not? And have you been to Contramar? It's like it's right in there. Yep. Yeah. That's amazing. It is amazing. But I think, you know, what's what's relevant is that I've always thought of sustainability sort of around the or across the border. You know, it's sustainability and ingredients and local and organic and sustainably farmed doesn't make any sense if you don't have a staff or a team that is also there in a sustainable way. So hours of work, pay, 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 pay is the bottom line. If you pay people right then you have a lot of problems solved in a restaurant. Because restaurants are, you know the struggle. You Restaurants are, you're serving the richest people with the lowest paid part of the population. So it's, you know, I've, I've always been very aware of the struggle and I've always made it so that it wasn't that unfair. And in Mexico, it's easy. In Mexico, we have a very small part of the population that is extremely rich. And not that we just cater to them because I think Contramar is a very democratic place in as much as that is possible at that sort of range of prices. But, you know, it's fairly priced for the really high quality food that it is. And it's so successful that we can pay people really well. And they've been working for years and it really makes a difference in their careers. In San Francisco, it's been much more challenging. And to pay somebody really well in San Francisco is it's impossible to run a restaurant. And we came up with the idea of hiring you know, people with a conviction history or people coming out of jail that the city was already helping in terms of housing or in terms of some kind of subsidy to like get back on track. So it's sort of a means to get back into the workforce. And it's it's worked out well. I mean, it's challenging, of course, because every time that you, I mean, you know, the most challenging part about running a restaurant is not how you dominate or not a technique in cooking. It's people. How do you get people to care about something they don't How really do you care get, about? Exactly. So then if you have people coming out of jail that nobody wants to hire and you hire them, I thought, well, they might be more appreciative of it, of the opportunity. And they are. And, you know, the cases at work are extraordinary. And they find a community that they belong to and they find a life and a family and good cases are really good. And you've been spending time in San Francisco. Yes. I've been living in San Francisco for the past five years. What, you like and, it? I like it. I mean, San Francisco is a really challenging city. And I think San Francisco has changed dramatically. And the romantic idea of San Francisco in the 60s and 70s is nothing to be found now. It's expensive. It's very, very, very... Well, like, no, no one in San Francisco division. wants me to be associated with San Francisco. I'm like enemy number one. So it's all good with here. <laughs> Are you, Dave? I feel, I feel like you've spent your career finding enemies number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a But that's why story. it's an interesting career. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I love San Fran, but like, I don't know if I could live there. You probably couldn't. No. No? No. I don't know if I could live there forever. Being from Mexico City, you have this 
And I'm, I didn't even grow up in Mexico City. I mean, I grew up in the countryside, so I, I, I can't even say I'm a city girl, but I always was very close to Mexico City. And I feel very, like, I resonate with this, like, high intensity, high energy level that exists in cities like but Mexico, Mexico City, City, Berlin. Is, it's like a not like most major metropolitan cities. No, no, no. Mexico City is extraordinary. And being used to that, any other city is kind of lame. I agree. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Finding a new job is a lot of work. What if you had your own personal recruiter to help you find a better job? Now, ZipRecruiter's technology can do that for you. Just download the ZipRecruiter's job search app, let it know what kind of jobs you're interested in, and its technology starts doing the work. The ZipRecruiter app finds your job you'll like and puts your profile in front of employers who may be looking for someone like you. If an employer likes your profile, ZipRecruiter lets you know. So if you're interested in the job, you can apply. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated job search app. And based on a third-party survey, 7 out of 10 people who found a new job on ZipRecruiter increased their salaries. These were the results of a 2017 U.S. survey of over 500 ZipRecruiter users who got hired for a job they found on ZipRecruiter. My listeners should download the free ZipRecruiter job search app today and let the power of technology work for you. Don't wait. The sooner you download the free ZipRecruiter job search app, the sooner it can help you find a better job. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is also brought to you by the Marine Stewardship Council. What if you could eat seafood to save our oceans? What if there were seafood options in your local grocery store that are as good for you as they are for the planet? Well, there's a not-for-profit whose sole mission is to make sure that wild-caught seafood you love is around forever. It's the Marine Stewardship Council, and it's a little blue fish logo on seafood packaging means that the fish was caught responsibly. Whether you're enjoying canned tuna, fish sticks, or grilled salmon, when you find the MSC blue fish, you can feel good about what you're eating. Even your furry friends can eat responsibly with MSC certified pet food. My dog, Sevi, a rescue dog, loves MSC Codskins. It's his favorite snack. I try to just save it for special treats because he will just crush them, but he loves Codskins, by far and away his favorite treat. Your small step at the grocery store can make a big positive impact on our oceans. Enjoy the seafood you love today, tomorrow, and always. Choose the bluefish. Follow along on social media at MSC Bluefish. That's MSC Bluefish. And now, back to the show. I was in California a couple weeks ago. And uh, I met a young fellow that started a business there, and he's very successful. And he was giving me shit because he says Mexico City has the best food in the world. And it was such a declarative statement. I was like, you had to, of course, argue it. Well, yeah, I had to, of course. He was just (laughs) picking a fight. I was like, okay, even if I agree with you, which I don't. Why would he pick a fight with you? But he said, even our French food and our, our Italian food and our Japanese food, That's it's bullshit. world class. I was like, well, I'm going to talk to Gabby soon. I guarantee you she might not agree with you. Totally. No? I don't. There's some really good things. There's some- there are some really good things. And I think what is incredible, what is great about Mexico City is that now people are really getting started with trying to do the best appropriation of Italian, appropriation of French. Appropri- I mean, I think, and they're great cooks doing things and there's a market for it and people are excited about it and that just pushes up the level. Like the bar has been really pushed up and I think it's great. We have a group of an amazing guy leading this Japanese-driven concepts and it's really high-end. We've never had that high-end Japanese food in Mexico other than in malls. Uh, the, the, the Nobus. Um, <laughs> anyways, but so this, the scene is really very fast growing and exciting, but it's not as diverse as other big cities. It's mm. you, you don't have good Vietnamese. There's nobody even knows what good Vietnamese might be. Nobody knows what you, good you know what? Co- Vietnamese flavors would do so well. So well, it's perfect. And some people do know about Vietnamese food and they have a little thing, but it's and, and there's been like a, a really like cool 
Vietnamese place, but it's not like you have world-class Vietnamese restaurants and Thai and Korean. Korean, there's a huge immigration of Koreans. Yeah, I know there's a— They run the mafias in the city, I'm sorry to say, I'm, I'm, David. There's no—there's nothing— is, is it weird that but I can, I can tell you that because I'm Mexican. That? Yes. I can tell you that because I'm Mexican. <laughs> when I found that, like, the, was, the head of the Yakuza was Korean, I was like, yes! So like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oops, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm so proud. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's like the pride that we get in the narcos from being Mexican. It's 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 very you know all these corridos, these songs that are actually just make people want to be that. It's very paradoxical. But hopefully, people understand what we're talking about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But um, yeah, the Korean Mexican thing is something that I did not know until recently because my wife has way more Korean friends than I do, and there's a contingent of Mexican City Koreans. It's and their huge. names are like it's, Rafa and like Pablo. And yes, I was like, whoa, huge, what's, what's going huge, on Huge, huge, <laughs> yeah. huge. Perfect Spanish. And the, Yeah. And that's a recent migration. Yeah, that's something that I want to look into. Because I'm have curious to. to see what that food you looks like. You should do like a program or you should go look for Korean places in Mexico. Because that is it's fascinating. Really, we should do that. Yeah, because that's I probably could, a recent I could recent take you bubble. on a, really, a very recent, and, like less than 10 years ago. Or or it started maybe fifteen years ago and started getting into What's the like food permeating. Looking like when they open up restaurants, whether it's traditional Korean or their version of like something else. You know it what? Like? It's both, That's which amazing. is really interesting. That's so cool. Uh huh. It's really cool. It really is cool. And all these flavors are very. It doesn't like, have not the... interchangeable, but these are you can you can understand why it's appealing for a Mexican. And then in L.A., Koreatown and. Mexicans like live in the same place. So you, I don't know what the influence, I mean, it would be so interesting, be so interesting. to do something in LA. It's like the Galapagos Mexico. Islands. You totally. can see how things evolve. And I think that's actually one of the few things I can be optimistic about. But when you think about it, I'm like, well, Korean food doesn't have the spices or the diversity of the sort diversity. of like, of like um, God, Mexican, food, Mexican food is just too complicated. It's super complex and it's all over the place. And it's not one spice. It's like, 15 different, and then, yeah. You can't really be an expert, expert on the food of Mexico. It's no, just too much totally, shit. Totally, and it's And it's so different. For, it's a large, it's a very, very large, geographically speaking, country. And it's a very large, culturally speaking, country. So when so you like, make food at Conchamar, how do you I do what I like. flavors? Is it, you take a little bit from all over? I When I opened Contramar, I was so not, like, my choices were not, I mean, I guess they were, ideologized in a way because I wanted, I was taken by certain types of food. I was, I had grown up eating great home food. I was a good home cook, but that was it. I didn't go to culinary school. I didn't have, I didn't know anything about other techniques and other cuisines and other, like I had no, no exposure other than eating in places here and there and traveling. But how, why'd you choose? Because I love Mexican seafood and because I thought it was a shame that you could never find fresh fish in a city like Mexico that was so centralized and had amazing fish that people just didn't know how to appreciate and eat. And people are still very scared of fish. I, I don't, I mean, you know, cookbooks are like, no, no, put a meat because fish is not that popular. No, put shrimp because shrimp people can make at home, not a whole fish. Or octopus, no, because it's, other than being smart, it's like too difficult to cook. So I think there's a dumbing down acceptance that in terms of eating fish. And fish was eaten only, or in general, on the sea, in coastal re- regions, in markets, in a very sort of tostada, ceviche, very informal way. and in fancy restaurants, but very much like in the French tradition of, you know, with more preparation than just like grilled fish. And it isn't that at Contramar we only serve grilled fish, but it's There's fish, some iconic coastal, yeah, coastal, fishes. like coastal recipes. But like, how is it? And is it something that is in the, how people dine? Because people eat at your restaurant for hours. For hours. I mean, can because you explain it, this to I, the rest uh, of the world? I, I know. It's like, very Give strange. an example of the meal. If, every time they say, oh, why don't you do this in San Francisco? I just laugh because nobody in San Francisco would understand investing five hours in just having a fun time. In like lunch. In like lunch in the middle of the day. Well, first of all, lunch in Mexico is later. So you could argue that people go to work until 3 p.m. and then they go to Contramar and then they just stay the whole afternoon. And I'm sure it's a concept that comes, I don't know where before Spain, but it's a Spanish, you know, way of eating like tapas and then you have a big meal and then you stay on and you do a sobremesa. And it's just sort of a way of enjoying 
food and the company that you eat with that we don't have in America. We well, don't know. What is it about Mexican food culture or culture at large that allows that to flourish? There's a leisure and there's a there's a big Community. class. Div- People enjoy each other's company. That's so weird. Isn't it? <laughs> People actually invest time in being with each other. And they do it at your restaurant. Like they that's, do it at my and restaurant. that's what's and so amazing. It's really amazing. And this restaurant has become sort of a, I always call it, it's like a club during the day. Because you go, you meet people, you see who you want to see. I, I'm not kidding. I go to my, I think, oh my God, when I go, now that I go back and forth, I think, oh, I need to see this person. I need to call them this time that I'm in Mexico. I get to Contramar and they're there having lunch. So it's, it's large enough that many people do go. And it's also small enough that you can feel that it's, sort of exclusive to be there. And if you're traveling, you need to make a reservation in advance so people feel very special being there. And it's been like that almost in the beginning. I mean, really, almost almost from... But people eat that way throughout Mexico City, these long... I mean, they do. And, contra- and, and that like way of eating... Contra- you're feeling no, sick. no, 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 no. People eat whatever they want. If you want to go only for a plate of... You want to have one tostada and water, sparkling water for the rest of the afternoon, fine. It's not, not the case. not punishing the guest. No, you're not punishing yeah. the guest. It's simple food. It's also really simple food. It's very. This very is why I had never wanted foreign to American listeners. Very, I know. It's but it, but this is why I had never wanted to make a cookbook of Contramar because I thought it was not interesting to put those recipes in a book because they were so simple. But now you're in a position of a pseudo cabinet member. I know where you but, can maybe you know export what? I, this. But you know it. what? Mexican food has been exported. But the very style, fruitfully. the style. I agree. But, but five you know hour what? lunches. No, we but, need this. I know. But do you think? Do you think Americans will be into this? Yeah. We have a president who eats it like all the more reason we should be McDonald's. exporting this. I know, totally. Right, eating like slow food. Hello. Yeah, but for real. I know. Like ever since having a kid, I realized like isn't, there's it's amazing. Isn't that the best part about having a kid? And again, that I didn't even give birth. Like I did nothing. Present. <laughs> yeah, present is it. They are in the moment, and they don't care. <sighs> no. About before, about later, about after. Like it's just being present. Because I'm a, so I'm a spaz. I mean, I, and we now sound kind of yeah. pathetic. Yes. But but it's true. You know, like me missing a flight because I woke up in Czechoslovakia. That's like a normal <laughs> I story. Your face. I remember yeah, your it's face. a normal story because I'm a total mess all the time. I, I actually need assisted living. And <laughs> the fact of the matter is like I'm always rushing. I never stop to enjoy anything. And then after I'm I need to get better at it, but like you talking about these lunches, I was like, yeah, this is what I need because I've learned there's really nothing so important that you need to fucking rush. But you know what? We've been raised to think that this thing, time is money. How many times have you heard that? And and you need, you know, we need to be successful and we need to be, and it's this rat race that everybody's in. And I feel that in Mexico, unfortunately, the reason, like the origin of this way of living is a privileged life. That you can allow yourself, like you know you're so at the top of whatever you do that you can allow yourself that leisure, which is, it's also problematic that in a way because not every Mexican can allow themselves to eat that well. But, but, However, but, Mexicans do gather in parties and celebrations and enjoy life a lot more than other cultures. That's for sure. I go to Mexico to vacation every year because I want to go, I, I like to fish the fish that I know. you serve. Yeah, yeah. And that's just where I go. And I, I won't tell anyone where I go, but they're families that I've gotten to know over almost 15 years and how these towns eat. Isn't it amazing? It's and they the just best. they have the fresh fish, they grill it, they do it very simple ways. They make fresh tortillas, you have the beans, and you make a taco, and it's life is could not be better. And there's again some things that you won't expect, like the Edom cheese type of thing. Yes. It's so strange, yes. but awesome. Yes. And like, again, I go to the Yucatan area quite a bit and I just love it. And uh, I want to continue to go there the rest of my life because it's like one of my favorite places. Um, But next time you go, let's make a trip to Mexico City and check out Korean Mexican restaurants. Done. Done. Because that's that's a whole different… And then you take me to Korean Mexican places in LA. Are there Korean Mexican places? There are. It's not. You know what? Like… The closest you probably have is what Kogi Taco Truck has mm-hmm, done, mm-hmm. but like, but that's I mean that's been going on for a while for a now. While. But ro- I mean, I think he's- people have blended that before. Mm-hmm. Like if you have like a church and people have a barbecue, Korean barbecue mm-hmm. after the church, mm-hmm. they've been putting it into tortillas and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's there. I haven't explored it as much as I should. Well, we should. Yes, let's do it. Korean, you know what? 
all my fishing friends in in uh, the Yucatan, they just call me Coreano. So really, <laughs> yeah. you know, in San Francisco, I go fishing with a bunch of Koreans. Ah, there you go. But like the ability to serve fish, have these long meals, and the way you're celebrating Mexico, and I think it's actually important. While you are right to think talk about how it's a class discrepancy, I also think about having seen in all my travels. People like to eat well. And even if they can't afford it, they save up, particularly like when I'm in Tokyo. Totally. And a lot of these great sushi yas, they'll save seats for people that don't have the money but have been regulars and they eat there once a year. And that's their meal they go out to eat. Totally. And totally. They, they splurge in food, which is something so ephemeral. It's like you know, splurging in flowers. It's just to beautify and make life. Yeah. But like, it's also, that's what that food moment. should be more yes. when we go to restaurants. Totally. I actually really believe that we need to go back to a moment where we are celebrating something. Totally. It's not just a graduation. Totally. Right? It's like, hey, like we're here together. We're celebrating life. We're celebrating life because it's fucking hard outside. <laughs> you know? Totally. I really believe that. Like, I'm not shitting you. I think that this long lunch thing needs to be I know. Employed. Let's Let's… People are happier. People are happier. People are happier. Can I ask another thing? Yes. I've always wanted to know. Yes. Why does everyone have a nickname in Mexico? No one is actually called their name. It's like what I was telling you before. My name is Gabriela. If somebody meets me in Mexico and says, oh, yeah, nice to meet you, Gabi, immediately. Because Gabriela, because they feel it's a way of warming up to people. Because it's this sense of, I think there's a value in closeness. And I think calling somebody by a nickname makes you feel more at home with them or more like closer to them. I think I have like a Maya nickname by the fishing. Oh, I'm sure. It's Kaka Smock. You know what that means? <laughs> Kaka Smock. I think no. it means like son of a bitch or it a probably complaining it, guy that complains too much. That sounds. Yeah. That sounds like it could be your yeah, nickname. Yeah. Oh, Kaka Smock. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, in in San Francisco, another just in terms of like Korean and Mexican integration, which I find hilarious. There's so many Mexicans. There's so many Yucatecans in the Bay Area. People from the Yucatan. And many of them speak, don't even speak Spanish as a first language. They speak Mayan and they speak the different Mayan dialects. And the other day I arrived in this restaurant and I could swear these guys were Korean and they were Mexican. Wow. Because they were in a Korean restaurant and they spoke Korean and it was, I mean, it just, and then I, you know. But the I, best nicknames, yes. I'm sure that they have for each other too. I, I know, for sure. Like really but clever nicknames. Yucatecans are very good at nicknames. My God, if I had the ability to tell it out loud, it's so inappropriate too but like one of the one of the fishing guides they call him Coriano because he looks Korean uh-huh. and Coriano's brother they call Caesar because he looks like the chimp from Planet of the Apes <laughs> <laughs> I was like that is the fucking best yes. I've ever <laughs> Mexicans are very and I also think it's an enjoyment of life like nicknames and playing with words has to do with with a joy of living Something that we need to start know, with. Have you heard of albures? What is that? It's like a, not a riddle, but it's like phrases with double meaning. In many cases, it has like sexual implications and it's usually not that appropriate, but it's very witty and it's a part of the culture. And if you don't know, if you don't understand, then they get you. There's certain circles in which you have to understand. Otherwise, you're a total loser. And you could, you know, again… It's not politically correct because it's not for everybody and it's, you know, you need to understand or you don't and you're out and you're a loser. But there's this joy of, or this playful way of living, this playful, like this sort of integrating a more ludic, you say ludic? No, you don't say like, no, just like playful nature. Right. Well, in spending time in America the past five years, well, San Francisco, it's not like it. They're all of America, but it's certainly not. Where are our priorities? If you're going to criti- not be critical of American mm-hmm. values, what is it that we could learn from Mexican values that we should adopt? I mean, not that Mexico is at an ideal moment in that either, no, but, but the way the, life the, is no, lived. But, no, no, but I was going to say, like, the not centering everything only on economic and financial concerns. Like, not, and I, and, and we do, like, I've said this a thousand times recently. 
you know, we do need, and I always say it in terms of the restaurant, like you do need to pay people, right? Like material conditions are, it's the base from which you can then live, right? If you eat and you have a house and you have like, that's what you need to, people need money. But I really think that the value that Americans put in money, that the way people talk about how much money they make, everybody's talking about how much money they make a year. I I feel that it's a much more money-oriented culture in general, which has been admired for, you know, a century or more. But I think it's really— I think about that a lot. Me too. Because especially when you go to, like, Spain, I think that they're like, we've been number one before. It's over. It's overrated. It's totally overrated. Take a siesta, man. Take a siesta. <laughs> take us over to mesa. Drink a carajillo. Yeah. Drink a glass of wine with your food. You're it's not going to f- get drunk. I need, I need to take this advice myself. I What's know, wrong? But you with know me? what? Jesus. You have the perfect. Like you have a really good teacher at home. Take it easy. Do what kids do. Uh, in as much as you can. I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult. Grace will not be listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? You can't make it to dinner. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I got so many problems. I don't know why I make my life more difficult. Maybe we need to move to Mexico. Yet you always smile and seem to be quite content. It's all in tears, your, tears in your, and shrieks inside. That's not true. <laughs> I don't believe it. Let's take another quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's Day Chang Show is brought to you by 23andMe. Father's Day is right around the corner and 23andMe's Health and Ancestry Kit is the perfect gift. For a limited time, get $50 off a 23andMe Health and Ancestry Kit through June 17th. If you buy a kit for yourself too, you and dad can connect and celebrate your shared genetic similarities and differences with over 125 personalized genetic reports on health, traits, and more. I love this stuff. I've been a big fan of 23andMe because it's been a gift I've been giving to all of my friends and relatives because I just want to see how we're all connected. And I love the traits. I love that it says potentially that I have a gene that allows me to be an athlete. I don't know how much is true, but like I like thinking about it. And I love the fact that it says that I have potentially 1% of Ashkenazi Jew. I don't know how that happened. But I want to know, and I think it's fascinating, and I love telling people, because what if that happened like seven or eight generations ago? I I get lost thinking about the possibilities. And I I know that I had relatives that that were like in Shanghai, and there's a Jewish population in Shanghai. There's all these stories that are not told. But anyway, 23andMe offers traits, reports that give insights into how genetics can affect mosquito bite frequency, motion sickness, fear of heights, and more. And dad can explore where his DNA is from out of over 1,000 regions worldwide because 23andMe has the most comprehensive genetic ancestry breakdown on the market. And I definitely got this for my dad because he claims for sure he's got Genghis Khan DNA and he doesn't because I've done 23andMe and I was sad to find out that we have none of that. So I want him to see it for his own eyes. Anyway, he can find out that he's just a Korean sharp herder. He can even opt in to connect with people who share in his DNA. This Father's Day, get $50 off 23andMe's Health and Ancestry Kit at 23andMe.com slash Majordomo. That's 23andMe.com slash Majordomo. The number 23andMe.com slash M-A-J-O-R-D-O-M-O. Again, that's 23andMe.com slash Majordomo. Offer ends June 17th. And now, back to the show. You look at Mexican food around the world. Yes. Right? And like I've been doing a lot of this travel for this new show that we're doing again for the second season of Netflix. And I began to see two ingredients that don't get the credit they deserve. One is black pepper. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. essentially, Indian food is all over the world. Uh-huh. People just don't realize it. Right. Secondly, right. one reason why I think Korean food can merge so well with Mexican food is you can't really think about Korean food anymore without the chili. Totally. And of course, so much of Korean food with garlic and ginger and all this makes sense with Mexican flavors. If yes. I'm not going to try to stereotype what Mexican flavors are. Yeah, but yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Mexican flavors are literally… Everywhere. So you're going to be an ambassador. But, but wouldn't you say that it's also true for like Chinese and Indian? Chinese, yes. But I think people can actually 
better grasp Chinese influence, I think people have a harder time seeing Mexican and Indian influence around the world. True. Now there's like a real craze about Mexican food, which I also think is a little bit ridiculous. Especially like when I'm in like the Southern Hemisphere in like Australia or New Zealand, I'm like, whoa, like careful how you're saying authentic tacos. <laughs> there's nothing authentic about have you Have you seen in Scandinavia, the halls, like in the supermarkets, the Mexican food section? It's the largest. And they have food that you would not I know nothing regard about Mexican, as Mexican. Food, so I might, I might love it. No, <laughs> no we might, it, it's like, you know, it's like you might love a hard shell taco, but that's not, can, you can, know, a taco so is more talk, than that. Let's talk about that. So yeah. one of the things I want to do yeah. is I want to just destroy the ethnic food aisle. And one of the reasons I want to do CPG products is uh-huh. just to do it. Because when I go down, if I visit a town, I go to, I love going to the supermarket because I always want to see, quote unquote, the ethnic food aisle. I love going to the supermarkets. It gives me nothing but pure rage <laughs> when I see these fucking places because I look at these aisles of food that's made by people in Minnesota that have no idea what the fuck, nothing against Minnesota. I'm just yeah, saying yeah, like yeah, yeah, places yeah, yeah, that have yeah. nothing to do with anything. With, yeah. And I'm not trying to talk shit about Texas El Paso tacos, but in 2019, to still have that. what the fuck are we doing selling hard shell tacos with Bullshit taco mix. How is that happening? Maybe that some people can like that. I, I was going to say, I think that now has a place in, you know, the national. Smithsonian. There, I said it. Yeah. It should be in the museum. Yeah. But hard shells are good in its place. There's some places yeah. in LA that have great hard shell tacos. Yeah. But for that to be the and representation the... of all the Mexican flavors and food is fucking insane to me. What does happen in Mexico is you have a hard shell taco inside a soft tortilla taco. Which is called in Taco Bell, I think a gordita. Is that? I is that, don't know. Yeah. Really, a gordita? No, that's not a gordita in Mexico. Anyways, different things are called gorditas, but but it, it Taco does, Bell but is authentic does, gordita. No, FYI, not, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But you know what? But it does. But it does. I mean, when you see that, it does come from something that somebody made. Well, I'm not and, even talking about then, Tex Mex, yeah. but like when you see Mexican food in American shopping, like the grocery store. And it has nothing to do with your country. Yes, it is infuriating. I agree. Or it's just like very diminishing of any culture. What do you feel about Korean food that way? Uh, I'm such a self-loathing Korean. It's really hard for me to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're as self-loathing as I am. But I, I you know, like, I'll tell you an example. <clears throat> when we were going to make sam, we've been making sam sauce at Sambar for a long time. And essentially, it's my mom's gochujang, sam sauce, samjang, whatever. And I was like, man, no one's going to know what gochujang is, the name of the chili paste, the fermented chili paste. And I was uh-huh. like, we got to name it something else. And I was like, fuck, we'll just name it sambar because we've already like sort of effectively made up the word sam. Uh-huh. Put an umlaut over there. Hey, that had never, two S's and an umlaut. I just sort of made that shit up. But, and- it, looked, but it looked Korean. <laughs> Well, the name is Sam, but like, I don't think I'd ever seen that spelling. Definitely no one ever put an umlaut over the A. And I was like, well, that's already out there. We'll just go with that. And next thing I know, like 10 years later, while I think I was right on the flavors, I see gochujang potato chips. I see gochujang, like, I see gochujang sriracha sauce. Yes. Fucking drives me insane. Yes. And if this was North Korea, I would do terrible things. That's what I think about. Do you... (laughs) So do you think you're to blame? I mean, because I think, you know, chefs who are influential are to blame for sort of the veering or the shifting of… No, I yes and no, but it's yeah. the fucking cherry-picking vultures out there. Yeah, that that pick on what you did. Yeah. Yeah. And, but listen, on the other I hand, that's how food has always been transmitted. I would be totally, and, totally and fine. That's how ingredients have traveled. I would be completely fine. And this is going to, like, I'm not trying to, like, be, like, so xenophobic. But, like… If it's a Korean person that's benefiting from it, I'm be like, I'll okay, feel good fine. about that. Yeah, I'm not saying they have to be Korean or anything, but like, it goes to the concept of not appropriation per se, but is someone trying to be respectful? <laughs> is someone trying to honor where it's coming from? And if it's just because it tested well in some some like market focus group, and they don't give a fuck about anything other than profit. I got a real problem with that. I agree. But don't you feel that that's the case of any potato, like new potato chip flavoring? Even ranch, but ranch doesn't offend any nationality. And ranch is the greatest vehicle for MSG. (laughs) 
I agree. <laughs> no one, no one knows when you eat your ranch, you're eating MSG. But uh, I don't know. Like I'm also the idiot that buys gochujang potato chips because yes. oh, it tastes good. It tastes good. Ranch potatoes, <laughs> ranch Doritos. I would come to the United States and crave that. But when I see gochujang flavored ketchup and all this stuff, like when you see like a salsa picante and shit like that, I hate it. I agree. I hate it. I hate it because it's because it has nothing to do with any way of preserving a tradition. I mean, also in Mexico, I get really frantic because because the Mexican countryside is destroyed. Ecologically, it makes no sense to not cultivate corn. You know, it's just in every sense of the word, we need to re like press reset in our food supply chain and in our food. But there's so many things that people can take from and profit in Mexican food culture, and like mezcal. And and they do. How many more mezcal plants? How many? No, and mezcal is a plant that doesn't reproduce fast enough. Not fast, not as fast as the as they're using it, and it's a disaster. And all these companies that tell you that it's like, oh yeah, organic or whatever mezcal. It, mostly, it's not true. If you do the math, it doesn't work. You know what's crazy to me is what I think about when I got into this profession. I don't think I heard the word mezcal for at least ten years. I know. <laughs> you know, Contramar was the first restaurant to have mezcal on its menu when it opened. See, everyone's copying you. I'm not. I'm serious. Me too. I don't like to do that because like, I don't know. Like no, to no, say do that. it. Do it. No, because do it's it. also super. Like it's super. I mean, it's an honor that people copy you. You they copy you because you did something right. No, no, no. It's great. Like the you tuna tostada. You and didn't the, invent it, and eating, but you certainly are a large. Every player. Mexican restaurant now has a tostada. I think twenty we probably years ago, put a fucking tostada on the menu. No, but but you you should. But twenty years ago, nobody would put it. Like, why would you put street food in a restaurant? I yeah. mean, but it had to do with the with a trend that I sort of also caught on because that's how trends happen. And, Which I think is it's just like how culture But moves again, always. I don't know if people understand how much Mexico has influenced food. Everywhere. Right? Yeah. Totally. I mean, from beverages to now Mexican Coke, people are like, well, better be Mexican Coke. I'm like, you mean… And they don't even know about like <laughs> cane sugar or corn High syrup. High corn fructose syrup. Yeah, they, like they don't… We don't even know about that it's discussion. It's just a brand that yeah. has got to be better. Mexican Coke. Yeah. It's because so it ridiculous. tastes better. Uh, you know. Anyways. One more thing on this. Because yes. I love your take on this. You know, when we were doing a lot of the, the first season for Ugly Delicious, I came away with something I did not realize, which was America was about trying to say that it's open to everything. Uh-huh. Especially all different cultures. Uh-huh. But the reality is it's not Especially if you compare it to Mexico, historically speaking, totally, you're like it's about openness it's an and inclusion yes. and diversity. It's fucking crazy, actually. It's the polar mm-hmm. opposite of what you might think the stereotypical history might be for Mexico, because yep. it's a, it literally been actually like Japan. We're just like bring them all in, take it yep. all in. We're gonna take your ideas and we're gonna merge it with what we have here, and it's fucking beautiful, like Chinese food. Mexican Chinese food is a thing. Yes. Mexican Japanese food is a thing. Uh-huh. Is it amazing? I don't know. But the fact that like people have been open to it yeah. is like truly… And you can see it evolve, right? Much like we were talking about the Korean-Mexican food. So much. And for example, the Arab-Mexican. Yeah. That, comes, th- yeah, that comes through Spain and then, and then not. And then there's more recent migration from Lebanon and from Syria and from… So it's… Yeah. That, that actually was one of the biggest holy fuck moments I've ever had in my life. The tacos árabes? Oh my God. Still. How good are those? Which is one of the reasons why we did Bong Bar, which was like the… Like a, I was like, oh my God, I've had it all wrong. I thought that like it was the opposite narrative. Uh-huh. And it's so amazing. And uh-huh. then you think about it, like all the war and genocide that forced people out from the Middle East to come to Mexico. And then they can sort of… It's crazy. It's crazy. When you see how Pastora now is everywhere. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. So this is why you're a perfect person to talk about this stuff as cultural <laughs> ambassador. You think? You know it. Yeah. I mean, what else? What else do you have going on? Like, I could talk to you forever. No, I know. I have. What else do I have going on? Nothing. Onda. That's that's enough. Onda, I'm very excited Onda for you guys. LA. Me too. I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be fun. I think it's gonna be. I know it's gonna be fun. How many? How many seats with you in Coslo? How many is it? A hundred and twenty. And you don't have to do room service, thank God. We don't have to do room service. No, but we do have to do the lobby. That's all right. Yeah. And when's that gonna open up? Uh, late summer, August-ish. So how are you dividing your time with everything? How do you okay, do this? Because so you my, live on planes. I do. I do. 
And I, as you said, I need assisted living. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty good at planes, but I now will move back to Mexico City. I've kept a place there always, but I'm going to move back to Mexico City just because it's going to be easier to have my son there. My son just turned 10. Is he excited? He is both excited to go back to like, because it's home in a way, but he's not excited about leaving his incredible school in San Francisco, which is an, like a really cool Quaker, beautiful place that has, you know, full of wonderful people. It's like the best of San Francisco because San Francisco has the extremes. That is the best of San Francisco. So having my son be in Mexico will be, I think, easier for me. So that's why I, I'm, I'm making this decision. It's easier to get to other places from Mexico than from San Francisco. I feel that San Francisco is more insular than mm. Mexico. So I think I need to be in Mexico now. And also this president thing. He's in Mexico. It's from San Francisco. I can't make it fast so enough you, to Mexico. So like the question I get from a lot of people are like, how do you divide your time? And I really don't have an answer. It's like, actually, I have no you don't. idea. You don't divide your time. You do what you can do when you have great people working with you. And you have a great team. And that's what you have to do. Jessica and I have had this conversation. You know what? Many times I'm not going to be able to make it, but you'll have great people that will make decisions that I will be responsible for. Do you think that LA has better produce than San Francisco? No. Nope. Damn it. <laughs> there is really, I mean, you can say anything you want about San Francisco, but San Francisco has... The climate, it's just a little bit colder. No, and the farmers have been farming amazing. They have a really long tradition of that. And the little bit colder does help. And the care of all those people who, in a very elitist way, have chosen to eat that way and have taken that on in their lives sort of as a principle of living. Yeah, does, I'm, just, I'm just jealous, I mean, it, ultimately. Yes, you're jealous. I'm I jealous. get it. Now we figured it out. <laughs> you're just jealous of San Fr You wish you lived in yes, San Francisco. I wish I was a tech those, bro. No, you wish you were cooking with those ingredients. <laughs> I do. I, do. I don't I wish like, I was a tech <laughs> How? What's the? Hey, feminine, I, I I tried to do feminine of I tried, bro. I did business with tech bros. Um, what was that? What's the feminine of bro? There's no sis. No, that's like. I no. think that tech bro know. is meaningful because there is only one singular way to speak of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That I, I yes, totally interesting. Yes. Yeah. But anyways, I the best part about San Francisco for me in terms of cooking is cooking with those ingredients. It's precious. Well. I'm sorry. I was just thinking all the tech bros that I'm yes, with. Yes, me, like, me, me too. Me too. Me too. Me too. You can't get um, it away. So we covered a lot. We did. And the book's out. The book is out. The and book the, is out. And has been out titled? for a few weeks. It's called My Mexico City Kitchen, Recipes and Convictions. There's a lot of text in there. It is. I, I was reading the intro and I was going through and there's all of the famous iconic dishes that you have. Yeah. Let me ask you a serious question because I'll answer this. I don't think my cookbook is something that should be made at home. You make these cookbooks and I was like, can you make it at home? Do you have that in mind? For I totally cookbook? do. I, one of the things that I didn't want to do is another precious cookbook that was beautiful, but then nobody could cook from. And I have a ton of those. We all have a ton of those and they're beautiful and I, I love them. But I think that since my food is actually like the perk of my food is not any technicality. It's ingredients and making things carefully enough and orderly enough that you can guarantee quality and consistency. Right. And that's a challenge in restaurants. And I've, I've kept it at that. I, I haven't gone into like the fancier cooking things. So I actually could make a cookbook of Mexican food that was cookable from. Like you, people could, I, I want people to cook from it. And every recipe has been tested and I know that you can make it. And, and a couple more things. Yes. For someone that wants to think differently about Mexican food, I feel one of the stereotypes is that it's simple to make. Right. And this is another thing I wanted to do. I wanted to veer, like steer away from this dumbed down version of margaritas and tacos everywhere. But I also did want to make tacos accessible or walk people through the complexity of tacos, but also have them have a few recipes that were approachable and easy to make. So I... On one hand, I wanted to make a book for home cooks to understand that Mexican food is actually much more complex than they probably know, but also in recipes that they could probably make. I'm going to have to make some yeah. at home. Um, I actually, here's the thing, having a kid, it's five o'clock. 
I have to be home by five thirty, so I gotta, you I gotta, a, I gotta go. Yeah, yeah, this is strange. I know, Thank isn't you. it the worst thing? That, don't you understand every cook who's worked with you and who has a family? The American schedules of restaurants are the least friendly schedules for yeah, Nick, family time. You know, it's, the here you spend time with your family after they come out of school. Yeah, the Sweet Green guys just announced that they're going to give five months paid leave to anyone that has a child, even a foster parent. I, You know what? I do that. Wow. Five months is… No, five months is a lot. But, but five months is a lot. I do, I do the same as for women, which is three months so, in Mexico, which is nobody in Mexico does that. Nobody. I just don't know. That's been what is the most humbling thing is to think about in the position that I am that it's still difficult. And I think about most of the women mm-hmm. that have given birth probably with… Like I think about my mom. She came to the fucking American 69, had four kids… I was the only one that had, she had help with because my grandparents immigrated in 77 when I was born. I was like, how the fuck did she have three kids in Virginia? I know. Didn't speak the language. I was like, unbelievable. And I was like, how many other stories? So I don't know. And that's what I think about a lot more. And particularly in our industry, maybe that's an, I just don't have answers. Other me than neither. Me neither. But. It's very hard. It's really hard. Yeah. All right, and well, the times, the times, like this is when you want to be with your kids. And this is when you have to open the restaurant. I know. And I don't know how, yeah. like this is, this has been freaking me out because yeah. my time is not mine anymore. Yeah. 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 I'm literally like, oh shit. Like I got to help out do this. I, I am really into this new Dave. Domestic stage. Dave. Is, yeah. I love Domestic I, Dave. I am really loving Domestic <laughs> Dave. I have to say. <laughs> it's great. Like, Good. I love it. Yes. Um, but I would. I want to talk to you. We'll talk again soon. Yes. And yes. when I'm back in LA, we'll definitely talk when you guys open Onda. Yes. All right. And I want to talk more about that. For yes. Sure. Everyone, thank, thank you, you. Gabby. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Chef Gabby Kamara of the soon-to-open Onda in Los Angeles uh, with Chef Jessica Koslow, one of the really great people in this business. She also, I forgot, it just came out on Netflix. She has, I think it was called A Tale of Two Cities, or I just butchered that. That's uh, Charles Dickens' novel. (laughs) But uh, Gabby has a Netflix 35-minute doc. It's fantastic. Check it out. You'll get a sense of who she is much better I think, than just listening to this podcast. So check out what she's done. And she's had a long, very remarkable career. And she's great. On a completely different note, I just got back from Toronto. And I was literally in and out for the second game of the NBA Finals. And man, Toronto is such a great place. And I was telling my friend yesterday who had never been to Canada. is like, I love Canada. And I don't know why people from America don't love it more because the values and who they are and how nice everyone is, it's just something that I warm to quite a bit. And it's uh, basically everywhere in Canada is great. And I was very excited for Toronto to make the finals. That city deserves it. They probably have the best fan base for sports that I've ever seen. And um, the Raptors arena, Scotiabank arena is It was Air Canada last year or two years ago. The Raptors fan base has to be the most diverse fan base I've ever seen. And when you walk into that arena, you can see it. It is as multicultural as you'll see any place for sports. And that gives me great joy. And um, I wish I could have stayed longer to obviously see some of my friends there and to visit all the great restaurants. But the Toronto food scene is, it's growing. It is very much growing, and I think people are beginning to realize that it has amazing food that may not be the kind of food you read in glossy food magazines, and whether it's Markham and the giant Chinatowns that are out there, the China Burbs, I should say, or the delicious Jamaican food. There are a lot of different immigrants in Toronto, which obviously makes up that terrific fan base. And their foods are represented in Toronto. And I think that it's more of a conversation than ever before about how it's represented and the fact that I don't know how to describe it other than people realize, it seems, at least visitors too, that 
it's a place that's not just about a um, fancy three Michelin star kind of dining experience. And if you look at Toronto from a different perspective, it probably has some of the most delicious food out there. And it's that's a perspective that I've developed going to Toronto for about 10 years now, ever since we've opened up the restaurant downtown. I had no idea. And I thought that Toronto was basically just fancy, just trying to look at Toronto from a fancy sort of top 50 point of view. And I've learned over the years that it has not that. It's not, and it will, I think, but what makes Toronto so great is the diversity and the different kinds of foods you can eat. And it's all represented there. So if you're looking for one kind of thing, you probably won't see it. But if you take a step back and if I'm doing a good job of relating it to the kind of uh, people that go and watch these amazing NBA finals, man, I was bummed that they couldn't pull it off last night, but check out Toronto. Hopefully they go, there's a game seven. And uh, even if you can't get to the game itself, man, like there's real sports, which is probably one of my favorite sports bars anywhere. And, uh, they're basically just watching the game outside. You can see it's called Jurassic Park. And just in general, I, I really love Toronto very much. So check it out. There's a lot of good restaurants. Won't go into detail today. There's a lot of new articles about. I think Danny Chow has a great article on The Ringer about some of his go-to spots. But check out Toronto. It, it's more than basketball, and it's more than food. And as I was saying yesterday, it's got two airports. It's got a mass transit system. It has a hockey team, a baseball team, basketball team. I've never seen a Toronto Argonauts team, but the CFL. It's got everything, and it says it's just a great town. So I can't speak more highly about Toronto. So check it out. Um, well, since I just spoke about the NBA Finals and the Toronto food scene, I will do one more sports tidbit. I played golf for the first time since 2003, very recently. It's 16 years that I have not played golf. And I don't know. It was a very strange thing. I, I have I quit this thing. I essentially replaced it with fly fishing. But a lot of people want me to play golf again. And um, I don't know how I feel about it. But I just want to give a big shout out to Buddy Christensen and Callaway Golf. They hooked me up with a set of golf clubs. So I have to give them a shout out because a lot of people want me to play golf. I have been putting it off for far too long and I've said no to many, many rounds. But one of the main reasons why I've never played golf is it takes too much fucking time. It's a pain in the ass to get all the equipment. And uh, I hated it as a kid. So I, it's not something I, I really wanted to do. But what I want to appreciate with golf is I think how a lot of people appreciate playing golf, which is not competitively, but to play around and hang out with your friends and to do something. And unfortunately, I still have association of golf in a lot of different, mostly not positive ways, but a lot of how it means and what it signifies. And and uh, I don't know if you can really be good at golf and also work on other things. <laughs> like uh, It is so time-consuming. So I have such a competitive and addictive personality. I might just play golf all the time, even though I don't like it. But um, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe I should talk to Joe House and Bill, people that play golf. But if you see me out on the golf course, I may try to pick it up again. So I, I have mixed feelings about it. So that's basically it. But I just wanted to give a big shout out to Buddy Christensen at Golfdom and the whole team at Callaway technology and golf and how things have changed. Literally, I threw my clubs into the ocean the last time I played. And I think the last time I played golf, you were still wearing metal spikes on your shoes. So it's a very different world um, with golf, but that's pretty much it. So we won't talk about any more sports. Get you guys out of here. Please give us five stars on however you rate this podcast, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify. Stay tuned next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.